First John 2, 3 through 11. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandments, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. He does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. So great to see some of our kids this morning uh, in the, the song they sang and the scripture reading. And we got one more thing for you kids this morning. Uh, here's a challenge for you. We know you've been probably listening to some of the sermons. Sometimes you probably think, well, what's he talking about when you're sitting there listening with your parents? But it's good for you to hear the word. But we thought we'd want to engage you in something else this morning as well. So here's a challenge to you. If you've got some paper or coloring crayons or, or markers, grab them right now or run off and grab some. But listen to this first. Uh, what we'd like you to do is a challenge this week. Uh, draw a picture for us. Maybe uh, we're asking you this week to draw a picture of somebody you've seen on screen this morning, whether it's David playing his guitar or me preaching here, or maybe it's Mr. Grover leading worship. And we want you to take the, color those things, and then we want you to send them in to us. Email your creation to Mrs. Jennings uh, this week, and we'll share them next week uh, during our live stream uh, here on a Sunday. We'll show some of your uh, creations that you've made. So draw a picture during the sermon of somebody you've seen on screen and email it in to Mrs. Jennings this week. I hope you do that. Well, I'm excited because this morning we're going to come back to our letter of 1 John. Uh, If you can remember, that's a few weeks ago now. We took a little detour into Comfort for the Quarantine series and then Easter. But we're going back now to our series, uh, Love and Light for Life, we're calling it. Remember now, this letter was written by the Apostle John, who was a direct eyewitness of the Savior Jesus. Remember, he saw him. He heard him. He touched him after his resurrection. He knew Jesus on a personal, intimate level. And in this letter, 1 John, he writes to us a very practical letter, a letter in which he says his overarching purpose is so that your joy may be complete. He says that in 1 John 1, 4, and I, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I mean, is this possible? Complete joy on this earth? John makes the case, we talked a few weeks back, that yes, it's possible. And it's not a naive happiness, but a fellowship so deep with God and his people that you and I will become like a tree that has sunk its roots so deep into a subterranean source of joy that regardless of the wind that blows on the surface, the scorching heat that beats down on you in life, you remain buoyant, resilient, filled with hope and joy that is eternal and motivating and fuel for your faith. It's more than just saying you believe some things about Jesus or saying you know him. 
It's not less than that because it begins by coming to God on his own objective terms and who Jesus is. Our second week, we talked about a doctrinal test that John gives us. In verse 5, he said, this is the message we proclaim. What was that message? God is light. He is holy. We are not. And in fact, our, our very nature is corrupt and sinful. And we need someone to make us right with God. Oh, but in Jesus Christ, we have that. An advocate, John called him, who is the propitiation for us. Remember, that just means he absorbs God's wrath for us on the cross as an advocate. An advocate we talked about was a proxy, a a legal representative. I talked about my medical patient advocate who opened doors for me. Uh, This is someone who stands in for you and is your witness Whatever he accomplishes, your advocate, on your behalf is is credited to you. His righteous life is mine through faith. His payment for sin is mine through faith. His resurrection from the dead is mine through faith. In John's message, repent and believe, and all this is yours. Your witness has stood in your place, your advocate. We We receive forgiveness of sin and freedom from hell because he did it. It means we did it too. So you now stand as one who is blessed, loved, cherished by God as a son or daughter. And if you know that, oh, the joy that comes from that. But we have trouble knowing that, believing that, and being sure of that at times. So John unpacks this assurance today. As he says later in the book, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, you may know, that you have eternal life, so that you may know it. Certainty, assurance that you have eternal life now. The Apostle John has a very clear understanding of what it means to be a Christian. This understanding came from his firsthand experience with Jesus' teaching, his person and his work. And John wants you today to have a very clear understanding too. A certainty, an assurance that, that boldly transforms you So this morning, he gives us three tests we're going to look at. Three tests by which you can evaluate the validity of your faith and have your assurance increase. So grab your outline. Hopefully you've got it. You may be printed out for an email. Maybe you're looking at it on a tablet this morning. And have your Bible open. Let's look at these three tests. And here's our first one. The first test that John gives us is an internal knowing that you know. Uh, Really, this is the second, third, and fourth test, because remember, he gave us the first doctrinal test in chapter 1, 8 through verse 2, 3. But for our purposes today, we're calling these 1, 2, and 3. And by using these three tests, you can assess the validity of your faith. How often do you feel far from God? Do you ever have seasons where you don't sense his presence? and you feel like you're in a a time of spiritual dryness or a desert, are you not sure this morning if you're a Christian? These three tests are for everyone, those who claim Christ and those who aren't sure. And you can use each of these tests, and where you answer no, that's where your problem is. That's what you need to address. Now, that doesn't mean this morning you're not a Christian if you answer no to any of these, but it might. We know Christians struggle too, and at times have doubts, and at times they're struggling in obedience and faith. But 
you look at these tests this morning and you can generally answer yes to all of these, then your assurance, your faith, your trust will grow and you'll live with a power that is supernatural. So let's go. Let's look at these. Is it possible for a Christian to know they know God? To have an assurance that's so deep that they would say, I'm certain. Uh, John claims this. Verse 3, he says, we, 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 we know that we have come to know him, he says. We know it. It's certain. By this we know that we've come to know him, or his words. Now some see this as an arrogant claim. It's too exclusive or too prideful. How can you say you know that? I mean, how can you be that sure of something like that? But John gives it to us as an internal test to see if we understand who God is, and what a relationship with him is all about, what knowing him means. This is what theologians call the doctrine of assurance, assurance of the saints, the assurance of our faith. And I would go so far as to say, unless you know this, you can't live the life that God intends for you, a life of obedience and courage and faith and, and, and trust and risk for the gospel. So you have to start you have to ask your questions, some questions to evaluate. With each one of these tests, we'll give you some diagnostic questions you can use. So jot them down or remember them if you're thinking, I'm not sure about this test. Here's a few of these to help you know, do you really know God? Do I really know God? Not just knowledge, but fellowship. Do I have a deep relationship with him? Do I sense his presence, experience his presence, feel it? Do I find in my heart a desire to spend time with him? Is there a give and take between you and God where you speak and he speaks and you listen and, and he guides you, whether through his word or prayer or spirit? Is there a dynamic relationship, in other words? Does his love put wind in your sails, get you out of bed in the morning, cause you to live in a way that you know isn't possible in your own strength? These are the diagnostic questions to use or do you know that you know God? I mean, this is so practical, John's stuff this morning for us. I hope you hear that. If you answer no to any of these, this is where you need to start this internal test. How do you know someone? How do you come to know someone? Well, they reveal themselves to you. As God's revealed himself to us in his word, we wouldn't know him without that. I can remember when Robin and I started dating, how over the time we shared uh, more and more about ourselves. Now, I would say that I knew her after our first meeting at our mutual friend's house that day after Christmas when we met 16 years ago now, 17 years ago. I would say I, I, I knew her. But it wasn't until much later as we began to reveal our struggles, our hopes, our dreams, our failures, our joys, that I said, oh, now I'm starting to know you. I mean, it could be years of knowing someone before you actually know them. Maybe it's a coworker you've worked with for years, and finally one day at lunch, she or he begins to talk about their real self, and, oh, I, I've known you for five years, but now I know you. Well, in the Bible, the term to know someone, maybe you know where I'm going with this, could have different meanings. If you grew up with some older versions of the Bible, you know what I mean when I say Adam went into his wife, and he knew her, and she conceived. 
to know someone in the Bible can have the most intimate connotations. It's so intimate, it can mean mixing with, mingling with, entering into the other person, to put it bluntly. That's what it meant for Adam and Eve. This is what God wants with us, to have such an intimate fellowship that he's abiding in you, and you in him, like a vine to a branch, uh, like food and, and water for your soul. That's what it means to know you know God. Now, of course, as we think about this, this experience, this eternal sense of knowing you know, it waxes and wanes over time. And you would, if you've lived the Christian life for any amount of time, you know that. And it looks different at different times that in life. One day it might be a still small encouragement from a word of Scripture. On another, it might be a flood of emotions that cause you to weep. But it's real. And it's a test of our true faith. So you think, well, I want that. Or I've had a little bit of it. I want more of that. How does it come? How do we get this? How do you get a sense of truly knowing God? There's a place in Hebrews in chapter 11 that some call the Hall of Faith. And in that chapter, the actions of, of many of the Old Testament saints are described. Remember our Genesis, begin, Genesis beginning series, we had Noah. How did Noah obey and, and build an ark in the desert with no rain in sight over years and years of, of ridicule and the potential for doubt that he had? And how did he go against the, the cultural flow to obey when it looked ridiculous? Well, in the beginning of that chapter, Chapter 11, verse 2, it says this. For by it, the people of old, that's through their faith, by it, the people of old received their commendation. They had a commendation from God. What does that mean? They knew God was pleased with them. He commended them. He was pleased with them. This is where the objective knowledge of God and doctrine transforms into this subjective experience. When God looks at me, you, in Christ, he's not angry. He's not grumpy. He's not fed up with you. He is as pleased with you as he is with his son, Jesus. If someone texted me yesterday, they were reading through Gilead, the book that I had um, challenged you to read that I'm reading through right now. And I think there's a quote from Augustine in there where he says, God looks at you as a parent who looks at as if they only had an only child. That's the kind of pleasure we're talking about. Let that fill your soul. Imagine standing in a courtroom. You're about to face horrific charges of, of murder. And yet you know you're innocent. And in bursts through the courtroom doors right before the jury reads their sentence, a surprise witness who says, wait, 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 I was there. I saw the whole thing. She didn't do it. That's commendation. That's a better understanding of that Hebrews 11.2 word. Except in our case, we actually did it. And Jesus burst into earth to make a way for God to find pleasure in us. Commendation. And think about it. What did he say of Jesus? If he looks at you the way he looks at his son... What did he say of Jesus before he was about to face three grueling years of ministry? 
He needed, he needed encouragement. He needed accommodation. And he gave it to him. He said at his baptism as a dove descended, this is my del- beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There it is. So ask yourself, do you give yourself permission to hear God speak those words to you? I know a lot of you don't. I know a lot of you view God as angry with you or fed up or just about to cut the string with you. If you are in Christ, you should hear those words. And in our passage today, we're going to pack it a bit more, but that commendation, that sense of knowing comes through walking in the light. We'll get to that in a minute. Well, that's our first test, knowing you can know and, and, and seeking more of it by living in that commendation, that pleasure that God has in you. You know God internally. Test yourself with it. Here's our second one. Second test is this. It's an external obedience that comes from the inside out. So the first one was internal. Now this is external, looking at your life and your obedience from the inside out. It's our second test of the validity of your faith and to give us assurance that John wants us to have. Uh, Are you one, as you look at your life, who generally desires to and, and does actually obey God, let's pick up in 2, chapter 2, verse 3b through 6. John says this. I'll read all the three. And by this we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know, there it is, you may know, that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I like how Diedrich Bonhoeffer put it. He makes this really simple, simplifies John's words here. He said, only he who believes is obedient. And only he is obedient, he who is obedient, believes. John says it this way. If you know God, you will obey him. That's what Bonhoeffer was saying too. If you have an intimate love relationship with him, you will desire to keep his commandments, to walk in the way, John said, to walk in the way Jesus walked. In any given moment to ask yourself, is Jesus smiling at this action? These words? That choice? Here's your diagnostic questions to use with this test. Do you see growth in your life? Are you consciously aware of your sins and and, and looking for them and and growing in in your hatred of those sins and battling them? Are you less angry, less jealous, less selfish, less petty, more generous, more bold, more self-controlled this year than last? Now, of course, we're not saying a Christian has perfect obedience. We know John even says if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar, he said in earlier verses. But what we're saying is, do you have a general tone or course or pattern of life that pursues and lives out obedience? Well, in other words, on the other hand, are, are, when you disobey, are you willing to admit and repent and seek forgiveness with God? You know, the idea that Christianity, we've oversimplified it over the years. We've cut it into pieces in the church. The idea that you just Say a simple prayer, ask Jesus into your heart for fire insurance, and then, hey, go on living your life as you see fit. It is not a biblical model for salvation. It's so much richer and deeper and bigger than that. 
It's born again. It's something radical. It's a new nature. It's a transformation. And in fact, John calls you a liar if that is the extent of your faith. Hey, I said a little prayer. I'm good. I mean, it's just not biblical. It's just not biblical. And if you're habitually committing sin in your life and unable to see it for what it is, unable to call it sin, unable to repent, I mean, are you surprised that you don't feel a deep knowing of God? You shouldn't be surprised. I mean, this is so practical. It's so practical. John just saying, you want to know if you're a Christian, use these things and look at your life. He's giving us these three tests to assess our spiritual health. Uh, a litmus test, a, a gauge, a guide. One of them being obedience, this second one. You know, Jesus said these words, if you love me in John 14, you will keep my commandments. Love is not less than a feeling. It is that, but oh, it's so much more. Love plays out in action. Love's expressed and becomes a reality through action. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You know, back to speaking about those you love in your life and those you've come to know over the years, whether it's a spouse, a best friend, um, somebody that, uh, a family member. The more you know someone, what happens? The more you know what they love. The more you know what pleases them. And the more you love them, the more you want to do those things that please them. Daniel Aiken, who's an author and pastor, said this, to know God is to love God, and to love God is to obey God. It's a very simple, very simple concept, but obviously hard in life sometimes. And John says when we live in obedience, what will happen is a snowball effect will happen. Verse 4 says the love of God is, is perfected in us when we obey. It means it's completed in us. It comes to fruition. It becomes what love is actually meant to be. Not just a feeling, but action too. Why is that? Because you have the sense of God's pleasure with you when you live for him. And love comes to fruition in true action. Uh, it's our Serve 318 project we've been giving to you every week. It's from this same book, chapter 3, verse 18. Let us not love in just word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you know why all this matters? I mean, this is pretty sobering. Why all these tests matters? Because it's possible to claim to know God. I mean, and even believe right things about him. And, and even do good works. And it's possible on that final day to hear Jesus say, and then I will declare to them, he said in Matthew 7, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Knowing God goes beyond just adding a few new doctrines. It goes beyond empty obedience. It is heart, internal, knowing, loving relationships. So don't ignore these tests today. Are you changing? Are you growing? Are you taking sin seriously? If not, don't give yourself false assurance. And remember what John calls you, if that's the case, he calls you a liar. Find true gospel assurance today. So our second test was that external obedience. Our first one was the internal knowing you know. 
Here's our third one. It's a second external test. Here it is. The third test is this. It's an external love for fellow Christians that comes from walking in the light. A right love for God, in other words, will lead to a right love for others, for for fellow Christians. It's our third test for the external relationships. You might call the the first one the the internal test, the, the second one the moral test, and this one the ethical. How do you live with others? John 15, 11, Jesus said this, these other words. Same writer of the gospel that wrote our letter recorded these words of Jesus. By this, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is not a new commandment, John says. He says Jesus gave it when he says it's, it's, it's an old commandment. He gave it when he said this, love one another just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know. What was also in the Old Testament, love God and love neighbor. But here he's newly reemphasizing its importance, as Jesus did too, to love others, and especially those in the household of faith. So some diagnostic questions for this test. Here they are. Do you have a loving relationship with other Christians? Do you carry bitter grudges? Do you reconcile when breaks happen? Or do you walk away and stay unreconciled? Do you forge friendships with Christians who are like you, but also different from you? To have a right love of God, they all flow together here. To have a right love of God means that you will have a right love of others. And you have to have a right love of God to love others, actually. Jesus, the light, has come into the world, John says. In these verses here, even, the light's come and it's transforming this place of darkness. It's banishing darkness, the light is. He's making it into a kingdom of love. So, what if you're a Christian who finds herself, himself, being resentful, holding grudges? Why would that be the case? You cannot hold on to a grudge. You cannot withhold forgiveness unless you have forgotten the gospel. We say, well, I I haven't forgotten the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I haven't forgotten. Oh, really? What's the gospel? You're a sinner, saved by grace. It's unmerited. It's unearned. And your maker decided he would become the guilty one for you, free you from the judgment of your sin on the cross. He being the one wrongly accused, despised, and hung for you. We say, well, I believe that. At the moment you and I are unloving, hurtful, hateful, vengeful, spiteful to another image bearer, you have forgotten that. You have functionally forgotten the gospel. How can we we be content with broken relationships when we've had our relationship with God restored at his expense? And when you need that into your heart, you know what happens. Your anger will melt. Your heart will soften. You'll you'll move towards your enemies rather than away. You need to live in the gospel. John calls this walking in the light. I said we'd get back to that, and we close with it today. What is walking in the light? 
If it's so important to our loving others and loving God and that sense of assurance, here's what we're going to say it is. Walking in the light means this. The gospel of Jesus Christ becomes our filter, your filter, your lens, whatever you want to call it, for everything. Here's what it means. It means the gospel becomes the grid for everything in your life. You run everything through it. Every relationship, every decision, every trial, every fear, your anger, your anxiety, your insecurities. You, you walk in the light. This is not just try a little harder. You might hear that walk in the light and think, well, does that just mean try a little harder? Well, of course we, we, we cooperate with God in our growth and our sanctification. And we even should say, work hard. Work out your salvation with tr- fear and trembling. And yet we know it is God's work in us to do good. You walk in the light. This is not just, as I said, a little try harder or be a little nicer. This is revolutionary. This is kingdom living. You as a child of God recognize this. You've been born again into a new kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says this. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, if not being the kingdom of his son is the kingdom of darkness, what's the kingdom of his son? A kingdom of light. Living in that kingdom light and walking in it. And again, this transfer was made possible by the greatest act of life-giving when the man Jesus laid down his life for his friends. So we walk in the path, as John said in these verses today, we walk in the same path of gospel loving. You know, I've used this example before, but it's a great one. In Galatians 2, when Peter was in Antioch, his brother, his friend, the Apostle Paul, confronted him about, I mean, really, call it what it is, it was racism. That's what it was. Paul confronted Peter about his sin. What was he doing? Well, Peter was eating with Gentiles and spending time with them. And Peter, as a Jew, was eating with Gentiles, which uh, would have been really difficult culturally for them. But as soon as some respectful Jewish leaders came, were sent by James, Peter withdrew from those dirty Gentiles. Now, Paul could have said, come on, Peter, you should be nicer than that. He could have said, Peter, you know, just stop doing that. Be more loving. Be more courageous. Come on. But he didn't. He said to Peter, your character, Peter, is not in step walking with the truth of the gospel. You're not walking in the light, he said. Peter, how can you feel superior about your race, your pedigree, your goodness, when in the gospel you're saved by grace alone? Uh, Peter, how can you turn your nose up at someone else when the cross is the great leveler, the great hammer that breaks apart self-righteous walls of superiority? He used the gospel on Peter's heart. When the gospel becomes your lens, your filter, here's what it does. It draws ramifications to every area of your life. You walk in step with it. It's like setting a cornerstone for those of you who have built and have done construction. You set a cornerstone. It's the first stone laid and it's the corner of the building. And off of that cornerstone come all the lines and other stones of the building. If that first cornerstone is off or wonky or crooked, what happens? That building's in trouble because all the other stones are set to it. But if you walk in line 
the straight line, with the gospel, walk in light, what happens? Those lines line up. Everything begins to line up with that cornerstone. And it transforms you from the inside out. And, and if you hate still, what does that mean? You may still walk in darkness. Or, or you may need to repent in the gospel. Do you see this morning why these tests are so important? Are you surprised by how dry your spiritual life has been? Do, do you feel distant from God? Then what does John say to you this morning? And I say too, go back and use these tests. First, do you know the true gospel? Do you know he's your advocate? Do you know he's died for your sins? Have you placed the weight of your life on that? on that cornerstone, Jesus? Second, do you know you know him? If you're not sure, return to that place of knowing you're commended and that God is pleased with you because he's pleased with your advocate, Jesus Christ. It's real. It's internal. It's dynamic and intimate. That's the second one. Third, are you obeying his ways? Assess your life. Do this. Ra- do this. This is radical. Ask somebody that knows you closely. Have you seen me grow this last year? Do it. Take an assessment. Go find somebody. What have you seen in me, in my life? Am I growing? Take that risk. You're saved by grace alone. The worst information they can reveal to you, God already knows and he's died for it. And then finally, are you loving others? Use these tests. If you answer no to any of these, it will most assuredly get in the way of you feeling, sensing, experience, and assurance of your faith. It's just inevitable. These are the things John says you have to see and test in your life to know. And when you answer no to one of those, go at it. Go after it. Pray about it. It's the thing you need to address. Address it. Repent of it. Filter it through the gospel of Jesus. I mean, you can do it with anything. We did it with racism this morning. Uh, Paul Peter's sin. You can do it with anything. Pride, anger, lust. If you're not sure how to do this, we we talk about a lot here at Bethany Church being gospel-centered, but I know it's maybe fresh and new to some of you that everything for the, even the Christian gets filtered through the gospel. I got a couple of recommendations, resources for you. If we were gathered, you know I'd have 10 of each of these sitting out on the table for you to purchase, but we're not. Uh, So I want to at least make you aware, maybe we'll have them on the tables when we get back, but first one is called A Gospel Primer for Christians. Short, simple little book by Milton Vincent. In it, he lays out how the gospel is used on all kinds of areas of life. Uh, we're going to put the link for both these books in the Facebook feed today if you want to order them right now. That's the first one. Here's the second one. It's called Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vander Stelt. Gospel Fluency. Is the gospel so familiar to you that it's just you're fluent in it, like a new language? You know how to use it on every area of your heart and life. Great book, great resource. Encourage you to get that one as well. Let's pray as David comes back up to close us in worship. Lord Jesus, we ask you, make us gospel fluent. Work in our hearts and lives this morning. Give us assurance as we use these tests on our life, as we seek to be those who know you, love you, are cherished by you. Give us a sense of your pleasure with us again today and grow in us this this boldness this courage to live for you, to find hope in the midst of this isolation time, to know that you're pleased with us, to know you haven't forgotten us, to know that you desire to have us come back together and meet together. Give us wisdom as our leaders seek to make that decision in the coming weeks.
and assess when that would best be for us. Uh, and just thank you for, this, for John's words this morning. The practical nature of your scripture, God, by it we can know and assess the validity of our faith. In Christ's name, amen.